Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. This is the GM Shuffle. Why were they in a rush to redo the steal? Who were they competing against? They owned his rights. He wasn't going anywhere. He wasn't going back to baseball. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. I'm your host, Femi Abebefe. Michael, I have done my four hours of independent study this week in preparation good, for the podcast. Good. Have you? Oh, yes, I did. And, and, you know, I definitely made sure that I looked, I turned all the pages uh, and I read it twice and I made, I made, got my yellow pen, my red pen out and my yellow marker. Yeah, I did all those things. What a freaking joke. Are you kidding me? Are you seriously kidding me that you have to get your best player? You know, I, I won't tell you the story about who they did this to, but there was a player in the National Football League, a highly prominent player that didn't work very hard, played quarterback. Mm-hmm. And he had success in the league. He did have success in the league. But when he went to this team, they knew he wasn't working hard. So they they would put like videos in the in 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 the in the record what they wanted him to watch, mm-hmm. like off maybe Three Stooges videos, maybe a picture of a of a girl or something. I don't know. And you know, and and it proved that he never he never watched it because he would come in and say like, why are these why are these videos in my video? You know, and. Like for me, it's like if you got to do that for your best player, he's not your best player. Yeah, it's it, it is a very interesting clause in the contract, shall we say that? Uh, and we'll dive into that now. But as always, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. Tweet at us at M Lombardi NFL is where you can find Michael at Femi Bebefe is where you can find me, our producer Stephen Bond, with us as always. So. Why is this in the contract, Michael? This Kyler Murray independent study clause, for those who did not, did not see this report, it's four hours of independent study for Kyler in addition to whatever he does with the team there on a week-in, week-out basis. Why do you think they put this in the contract? Well, I mean, you don't have to be Jim Rockford at 200 a day plus expenses to figure this one out. He didn't do it. He would, He didn't do it. He wasn't prepared. I mean, there's a New York Times article where he's quoted as saying that, you know, I'm not going to watch tape. I can just get it in my head. I know how it goes. I mean, it's his quoted. I have a different brain wired. Well, obviously, you know, you were costing your team plays on the field because you were making mistakes. They wouldn't have put this in there if he had perfect execution. I mean, this is a result, right? This isn't something that happened, oh, let's just cut this off of the past. This is a result. This is a, a, a process to try to enhance him to work hard. And they can void the whole contract. Can you imagine that? That's now, crazy. I mean, here's what I don't think they understand. You know, I, I'm convinced of this. You ever watch Entourage? Yeah, I've watched Entourage. Okay, well, I think the Cardinals front office is, is the exact replica of Entourage, okay? I, I think Cliff Kingsbury is Vinny, okay? I think he's the <laughs> handsome guy, right? Vinny Chase. <laughs> uh, Vinny Chase. I, I think that Steve Kime is 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 uh, Vinny Chase's brother. What was his name? Donnie, Johnny, Johnny Drama. <laughs> Johnny Drama, okay? And I think Michael Bidwell is Turtle. And I think the problem with their front office is they don't have, they don't have an Eric. They don't have an E. They don't have anybody with any common sense because, you know, they all want to kind of hang out and do all their thing together. And Vinny's the good looking guy. But like, where's the program? 
Like, didn't somebody say, hey, you know what? If we got to give our best player this clause, perhaps he's not our best player. Like, are we just going to hang out and, and go to social parties together and do all the things we want? Like, seriously, this is an entourage. Like, at some point, do you think Belichick or Bill Walsh or Mike Tomlin would be talking about this? Like, <laughs> like no, of course not. Like, that's why I think they're entourage. They just don't have an E in their front office. They got a good-looking guy. They got, you know, Turtle. They got Johnny Drama, you know. I mean, they got it all, but they don't have E. They miss E. They miss somebody in this entourage. And, and th- th- this just shows how bad all the things that I saw on the field that I'm not privy to in the building, it manifested itself when it came out with this clause. Like, I know his body language is bad. I knew he didn't work hard. I mean, he's running runs in the fronts that you shouldn't run a run into. Like, like that's not shouldn't happen, but he's doing it anyway. But you're not, you know, but God knows he's a great player. So, you know, all everybody's going to say what a great play because they watch the one play. And when you have to do that, like, like, to me, it's insulting. But I think the other thing, Femi, is it affects your team. Like, mm. it affects your team. Like, how, it, we know this. We wrote this for the Daily Coach, you know, about incentives. When you give incentives to people, you, you only temporarily change habits. You don't always change habits. And so because of that, it, it's never going to work. It's only going to be a temporary fix. Because if it's not in your DNA to do it, which Kyler's already admitted it's not, it's going to be impossible. Yeah, it's to me it's funny that you say they don't have an E. Maybe their E is uh, the, the agent, Eric Burkhardt, but he's more so acting like an Ari Gold, getting everybody paid. He's, that's there, right. So. Great point. He's Ari Gold. They got an Ari Gold. <laughs> and he's double-dipping on everybody. He's double-dipping on Kime's deal, or I think he's got Kime. I don't know. He's double-dipping on he's got – he's got Cliff's deal. He's got Kyler's deal. I mean – this guy here, I mean, he's you know he's got himself a, a second home off this deal alone. <laughs> the Cardinals package, he's hustling Michael Bidwell out there down in the desert. So why do you think the Cardinals would invest in somebody who they don't believe is putting in the necessary time to be a great quarterback? Because they took the path of least resistance. They said, well, what else are we going to do? He's our quarterback. We got to make this work. Instead of trying to find competition and bring it out of them and waiting two more years. Look, I think the biggest mistake of this contract is they did it two years. They rewarded him for being lazy. Like, they could have let this thing play out for two more years. They had two more years of this deal. Like, that, that to me is the biggest issue. Tell them, look, we're not going to redo this contract until you prove you're going to be prepared for games you're going to study. Give them the mandate. Don't reward them and then say, oh, we'll put this clause in here. Like, make him earn it. Like, make him earn it. Show that he's committed. Like, that's the whole conversation. Why were they in a rush to redo this deal? Who were they competing against? They owned his rights. He wasn't going anywhere. He wasn't going back to baseball. Like, why did they feel the urge to do it now? Like, tell him. Say, look, Kyler, call him in his office, man to man. Okay, if I were the GM in, in, in Arizona, I said, Kyler, look. I, I respect the shit out of you. You make unbelievable plays. You know, you got to improve in this area. You got to improve in that area. And you got to work harder. And I promise you, we'll redo your contract at the end of this at the end of the season. I don't care what the one loss record is. As long as you do the things you have to do to become a better player, I'm all in. But if you don't, we're going to have a problem. Like, what's wrong with that? That's called professionalism. It's your job. If I got to mandate what your job is, okay, you're a carpenter. You must bring your hammer to work. 
you must hammer 17 nails a day. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> it seems like it's a prerequisite, but apparently it needs to be put in the contract. Now, in defense of Kyler, because I, I am on record that I believe in Kyler's talent, uh, he just needs to stay healthy, and that might be something that he can't do given his size. But I look at his stats, and he has improved every year statistically completion percentage, yards per attempt, uh, their wins in terms of the win-loss record. So is it possible for a player to not be putting in the hard work while still improving on a year-in, year-out basis? I mean, it's look, it's possible, but it's going to manifest itself to a problem. And can you beat the great teams? I mean, Peyton Manning, did you see Pat McAfee's comment about Peyton Manning's preparation? I mean, yeah. Tom, I mean, I've watched Tom Brady prepare. I've seen Joe Montana prepare. Mm-hmm. Like, I know what it takes for a great quarterback to be great. Rich Gannon, I saw Rich Gannon's, I mean, Rich Gannon would write everything out in his meticulous Catholic school handwriting. I mean, it was brilliant, right? So, can you beat some bad teams? Sure. Can you beat, win a championship? No. Because mm-hmm. you're going to make that one mistake that you didn't prepare for. And it's going to cost you. Yeah. No, I, I think that's fair. It's it's like, I almost read into it because I think a lot of people took this when they saw it. Like, oh, wow, Kyler doesn't watch film. I don't think that he doesn't watch film. He probably just watches the required amount to be good enough on the field, but he doesn't really go the extra mile and putting in the 20 hours of tape because like you said in the New York Times article, he doesn't do that because he feels that he sees things and I don't know if he has a uh, picture-perfect memory or what have you or only has to see something one time for it to register in his brain, but clearly he's not doing the extra mile, which is what I'm sure the Cardinals want him to do since they paid him that kind of money to be a great quarterback and lead them to a championship. Yeah, I mean, look, if you gotta if you got to do that, then he's not a great player. I mean, he makes great plays, mm-hmm. and he's got great talent, and I respect that. I really do. You know, uh, I respect his talent, but I think part of being the leader of your team, part of being the best player on the team, you've got to set the example for to everyone else. Yeah. If you become the example, how can you be the best player? You know, how can – and we already know he's indifferent. I mean, he didn't even come out to see Buda Baker when he was on the field. We know we, – we, we see his body language. Do you want to put that clause in there, that you're <laughs> going to behave nicely, that you're going to show emotion? You want to put that in there too? Maybe we'll see him have him have him hug his teammates more and Hug give, give out, give out some da- dap. <laughs> We're all going to go to Dairy Queen together. Let's go. Smile more on the sidelines. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with Kyler and the Cardinals. But within their division, the San Francisco 49ers also made a big move at the start of training camp. They have officially ushered in the Trey Lance era here in 2022. The general manager, John Lynch, and the head coach, Kyle Shanahan, had their State of the Union press conference prior to training camp. And they said, we are starting and we are going forward with Trey Lance. Jimmy Garoppolo will no longer be the quarterback of the 49ers before we get into all the jimmy g stuff i want to focus in on trey lance what should we expect from him in 2022 because he only started two games last season this is essentially his rookie year as far as i'm concerned no doubt i mean but look he's got a good quarterback coach and kyle and obviously he's had a whole off season to prepare i mean last year he had no time to really learn the offense even though we kept reading how great he was at practice when we actually saw him play it wasn't what wasn't very good. He's going to have to show that he can throw the ball with different speeds, different velocities. He's a big kid. He's got a great arm. You know, they're going to run a scheme that fits what he can do. I mean, I think it's a little premature to say bet him for the MVP. I know we have somebody that, that has promoted that on our network. Like, I mean, seriously, you want to bet him for the MVP? Just make a St. Jude's play. Like, it's you know, just get him to be good player. Don't worry about him being a great player. If he was a great player, he would have played last year. You know, so I, I just think to me, 
until we see them, I don't really know what to do with the 49ers. I mean, some people think they'll win five games. I think they're really good on defense. Mm-hmm. And I think they'll run the football. And I think Kyle's a really good offensive coach. But I think he's going to have to make some plays and not make mistakes. And so I don't know how good Lance is. You know, he didn't play his senior year, so he missed that time. He really didn't play last year. So this will be the first time. But he gets all the reps in practice. He gets all the game exposure. You know, it's it's time. I mean, look, we'll see if they made the right decision. If they, they should have they picked Mac Jones. I mean, Mac Jones is I mean, you put Mac Jones on the 49ers, what, what do you think their what do you think their numbers are? Just think about that for a second. If you put Mac Jones on the 49ers, now I know all the analytical people, especially some of the geniuses, think that, you know, that they're he they shouldn't have picked him. The reality of it is, is you put Mac Jones, what do you think Vegas has sets their win to, win loss total at? I think there's a little bit more certainty on what they're going to be doing in 2022 than it is right now with Trey Lance. Yeah, no doubt. But look, I'm I, I'm not of the mindset that I that I begin with the end in mind. Like I would have picked Mac Jones over Trey Lance. I thought he fit Kyle's offense way better. Hmm. However, that being said, I think you got to give this some time to see where it goes. Yeah, it's really fascinating because I think of all the Super Bowl contenders that we talk about, the Bills, Bucks, Rams. Uh, Chargers, Broncos, whoever you want to throw in there, the Ravens, if you want to throw them in as well. The Niners are the one team to where I keep coming back to, and I don't know what to expect. And for me, as someone who likes to bet on these things, I I get scared because I almost think that, wow, I could be betting on all these different teams to win the Super Bowl or to do these big things. But if Trey Lance ends up being good, the Niners could eventually be a juggernaut. Because you think about how well they played last year at the end of the season. The defense was really good. They were a dropped interception away from going to the Super Bowl. I think we oftentimes forget that. Well, this team could with be Jimmy a, G a, a quarterback. With Jimmy, with Jimmy G, G a quarterback. quarterback. Yeah, I, I mean, look, that's why I'm not really ready to say they're not going to go over the win total. I, I think, to me, there's a lot to be determined. And they're going to end up getting Nick Bosa was great. We've already talked about him. Mm -hmm. They'll get Samuel redone so that they're going to get their poor players back. And if they can stay healthy, if Kittle can play all 17 games and that offensive line can stay healthy, certainly they will. But their head coach is really good offensive coordinator. You know, he really does a good job of game planning specifically each week. So he'll put Lance in the right place. He's just going to have to execute and he can't throw the ball like he's a jugs machine. Like last year, he just threw everything was fastballs. Like just, I'm just going to throw it as hard as I can. You got to have a little touch and a little savvy to your game. Do you think Kyle Shanahan was the one that was initially sold on Lance, or did John Lynch and some of the other scouts had to sell Kyle on this guy as the next guy for them? Uh, I think. I mean, I was told this reliably that when Kyle was in Chicago a year ago, he watched Mac Jones, and that was why they made the trade. And then Adam Lynch and Adam Adam Peters and John Lynch kind of ganged up and said that Lance is the value. Lance is the value. And I think they can, they converted them and changed them. You know, mm-hmm. I think, of, I, I mean, I, that's, and I, anybody who wants to dispute that, feel free to do it. That's fact. What I'm just saying is fact that you could dispute it. They can deny it all they want. That's fact. I mean, I know that. So like, and I'm not saying that to justify anything, but when Kyle watched Mac Jones, when I watch Mac Jones, when anybody who knows Kyle watches Mac Jones, they say, well, that guy fits. But I think Peters and Lynch felt like they needed to go bigger. And this is all really going to come down to, to how well they did that because they gave up a lot to get them. Do you think that's a healthy way to go about it from a general manager and head coach, the cohesion there? Because almost to me, it feels like the, the, the pushback 
the discourse I think is healthy just to get the coach out of his comfort zone. Cause I almost think about Jimmy Garoppolo as you know, this coming to America, I'm sure you've seen it. Eddie Murphy, one of the best comedies um, that has ever been out there, but there's that scene in the beginning of the movie where he's supposed to marry that one lady that he's set up with. And Eddie Murphy's character, Prince Akeem is asking her, trying to get to know her. And he says, all right, what do you like to do? And she says, whatever you like, what kind of food do you like? Whatever food you like. Jimmy Garoppolo almost feels like he's that kind of guy for Kyle Shanahan. All right, Kyle, what's the play? How do we do this? I will do that. Maybe he needed no, something no, else to I, challenge him. No, because remember, when he trades for Jimmy, he gets Jimmy on a discount deal because the mm -hmm. Patriots had decided that they, they needed to get something for Jimmy at the trade deadline. So they take him with no intention of signing him to a contract. None. They were going to take him and feel like if they can get him to play good, they'll transpose him into a maybe they'll get a first round. They'll get their second. But they'll get their whole plan was to sign Kirk Cousins. Their mm. whole plan was to sign Kirk Cousins. They trade for Jimmy and they get Jimmy and Jimmy wins five games at the end of the year and plays great. They got no choice now. Like he revived their franchise. He's won 33 games for him. Mm -hmm. They revived their franchise. So now, all of a sudden, they got Jimmy. They can get him cheaper. It makes more sense to go with Jimmy. So Kyle had to be talking to Jimmy. And then once he got Jimmy, it was okay. Now, maybe that'll be the same thing that happens with Lance. He got talked into Lance, and maybe Lance will grow on him because he's got a year to coach him, a year to develop him, all those things. We'll see. I mean, it's interesting how they're going to work. The, he, he needs reps in the preseason, so yeah. it'll be fascinating. I mean, he's praising Sermon. They say Tr Sermon looks like a different back. They got Mitchell back there. I mean, they're going to run the football. We know that. They're going to be a problem. He's going to have to make some plays, and he's got to be accurate with the football. We'll see if he can do that. I, I, I'm not anti-Lance. I just watched Mac Jones, and Mac Jones, to me, was a better player at a higher level of comp who fit Kyle's offense better. Yeah, Lance is the unknown, and maybe he colors outside the lines a couple times, and that could lead to big potential for the 49ers. It also could lead to a downfall of the 49ers. Maybe they only win seven games. It all remains to be seen. We'll find out come fall when they kick this thing off. Uh, Michael, let's take our first break. On the other side, you talked about the offensive line. The Niners have a strong one. Well, let's get into the blue chips and red chips up front on offense. All right, anytime you're on the golf course, you always hear the phrase, hit it long and hit it straight. Well, as somebody who's a novice to the game of golf, a new person, I wanted to make sure I had the best equipment possible. So, as a novice golfer, I went and hit up our friends over at PXG because they have an all-new driver called the Black Ops. I mean, my man Chris over in Henderson has hooked me up with a phenomenal driver that's built to my game. My new game that doesn't really do much of anything on the course, but it has what I need in terms of the club head speed and the kind of grip that I need to go out there and be the best to my ability. I mean, this is music to ears to any golfer, whether you're a novice like myself or if you've been playing the game for decades. The PXG Black Ops driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Op drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. That's just ridiculously high. So what you got to do Go check out the PXG Black Ops Driver. You'll be as impressed with it as I am. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment at pxg.com slash gmshuffle and use code gmshuffle at checkout. That's pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle for free shipping on all equipment, pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle.
All right, Michael, our red chip and blue chip series has taken us to the offensive side of the football. We have all the defenders out of the way. Now it's to the offense, and we're going to start where the game is won and lost on the offensive line here. The center position will go from center guard to tackle. But before we get into all of these guys here from a red chip, blue chip standpoint, what is the criteria? Like we always start with the difference between a red chip and a blue chip offensive lineman in your eyes. Well, you know, it's so hard to get 10 offensive linemen that are red and blue. I mean, especially at center. There are not that many great centers in the league, you know, so we cut down a little bit on that. But I think what they do is they're able to run and pass protect. And I think they've got to play through injury, play smart, and hold, you know, I'm a big believer in setting inside out, you know. And so what that means is you want the quarterback, you want the guys you're defending to run past the quarterback. And when you can set inside out, you basically allow the quarterback a chance to step up. Like we talked about getting into the paint last week. You don't want them as guards and centers. You don't. You want to clean the paint. And I think mental toughness is probably, physical and mental toughness is to me the key. But it starts with, you know, intelligence. I mean, I think a lot of the guys that play the position of offensive line, you know, Parcells was a big believer in intelligence and offensive linemen. I know in Cleveland, when we set up our grading system, we wanted at least a 20 test score for offensive linemen. And you say, why is that? Mm. Well, because when you have the ability to focus and concentrate, which is indicated by your test score, that allows you to play through pain because you're always in pain. Your elbow hurts, your biceps hurt because you're constantly getting hit. So if you're focused on the pain and you're not focused on the play, you make false starts, you make mental mistakes. And so what we would do is we would say, like, I'll give you the perfect example, Larry Allen. Larry Allen had, I think, 11 test score coming out of Sonoma State. Not very good, right? Mm -hmm. So we would put an M grade on him. We say we gave him a 7-0-M, which meant he had a mental. But that was only an alert for us. So then Pat Hill, our offensive line assistant, he flew out to Sonoma State. He spent two days with Larry Allen, teaching them our protection schemes, teaching them our run game. Then he left. He left for three days. He came back. And then he went back over to see if Larry retained it, see if Larry could understand it, which he did, which now we could take the M off him, right? Because sometimes the testing is more of a problem than the actual outcome of the, the test. You've got to understand, maybe the guy just doesn't do a great job of reading comprehension. It happens. So, but it, that's really important. So the mental aspect of the game is really important here for offensive and def offensive line. Yeah, I think that's a great nugget there because it's there's so many things that are going on on that offensive line. And like you mentioned, at the top of them is pain, the pain threshold, and you got to be able to play through it. And that's going to be a theme with a lot of these guys that are on this list here, some of which have had injury issues and some of which have been able to start a number of games. Let's start with the centers, though, for the red chips. You have two red chip centers. The first one, David Andrews of the New England Patriots entering his age 30 season. And then J.C. Treader, who right now is a free agent, most recently played with the Cleveland Browns, entering an age 30 one season here his ninth year in the nfl he's played in the last six each of the last five seasons he's played in 16 games in those five seasons so he's yeah. been very very durable but uh what stands out to you for these two guys specifically well they're smart and they they are able to get the right to get the line calls made and they're able to play within the structure of the team i mean last year at the browns i thought he gave them a chance to to really play well jc treader did so to me i'm surprised he's still out there a lot maybe it's an injury factor maybe it's what he wants contractually mm -hmm. look it's hard to find great like ryan kelly's not on the list and ryan kelly has been hurt 
from the Colts. He should be on the list. He should be a better player. But this year, he just didn't play to the same level. So to me, it was hard. I, I thought it was hard to find a lot of great centers in the league. I think there's some guys that are coming into their own. Like Rodney Hudson was a great center at one time, but I don't think he's the same player that he once was. Yeah, a guy like David Andrews, undrafted back in 2015. Yeah. So that goes to show yeah. you the, the development well, there in New England. Well, but look, see, this is where you get a little bit sticky here because offensive line is always about longevity. It's always about how many games did you start in college, right? So David Andrews is a four, three or four-year starter in college. And it wasn't, you know, he's not an elite athlete. He's not, but he plays and he plays well. And because of that tapestry of college and the ability to play consecutive games, that's a key indicator of future performance. I mean, past performance predicts future achievement. And so what we always try to do in trying to find some of these down-the-line offensive linemen, we'll find four-year starters. I mean, it was a big Bill Walshism. Like, let's just look for the four-year starters in the offensive line. Let's put them all in a, in a mm-hmm. pile, and let's go through them. Let's find guys that can do it. And you get David Andrews. I mean, we were competing with the Dallas Cowboys for David Andrews. I think it cost us $20,000 signing. Most of the best money we ever spent. Yeah, no, he's a good center can go a long way for your offense, especially from the run game standpoint as well. I want to transition to the guards before I ask you some big picture stuff about interior offensive linemen. The red chip guards are as follows. Andrews Pete of the New Orleans Saints, Trey Smith of the Kansas City Chiefs, and Kevin Zeitler of the Baltimore Ravens. You know, another interesting one, there's two former first-round picks in Pete and Zeitler, and then you have Trey Smith, who had high pedigree coming out of high school and was really good at Tennessee, but I believe it was some medicals that had him drop all the way down late in the draft. I mean, look, this is a good team. The Chiefs really did a good job rebuilding their line. Smith, I thought, was a good player last year for them, and they were able to get him in the sixth round, you know, and they were able to get through the medical, or else he would have been an earlier pick. But I think he gives them that size that you want inside to build that inside wall. You know, we've got Toonies on that line, too. We have him in another category. But I think that really helps, and it gives you that chance to develop uh, uh, some really talented players inside. I think the Chiefs have done a really nice job of rebuilding. Their right tackle situation isn't perfect yet, but I think from left, from right guard over to left tackle, they've done a great job of rebuilding their line. Do you think as a collective we undervalue the interior linemen, the centers, and the guards? Because when yeah. I look at the list of guys here, there's not a ton of first-round picks compared to when we'll get into the offensive tackles. Well, I mean, because we always say you can find guards, but you can't find guards. It's hard. It's like hard. You know, it's really hard to find them. You've got to develop them. You've got to have a system to develop offensive linemen. And it can't be in the year you're looking for them. I learned this in Cleveland. You know, in Cleveland, we were always looking for offensive linemen. So we would we would get a bunch of couple guys and we count them to play and they weren't ready to play. You have to be a year ahead of offensive linemen. So when you're a general manager in the league, this August, you're in your office. And basically, you're saying to yourself, who's our backup offensive line next year? And those five spots you got to fill because you need guys who – because if you just sign college free agents, they're not going to play very well for you. And you're not going to be able to develop the backup quarterback or you're not going to be able to develop the quarterback. I mean, that's Kyle Shanahan's problem in San Francisco. Does he play Lance behind a second-team line? And if he doesn't play Lance behind the second-team line, how much does he play the first-team line and risk yeah. getting him hurt? So you've got to have some vision. You've got to be able to see down the road a little bit. So for me, the number one job was, okay, I want 15 offensive linemen on this team by training camp of of 2023, and I want at least 10 of them that I know have played in games, that have played in games. And the second five, the last five, are for the 2014. 
You follow me? Yeah. And I may have to interchange those. I may have to cut one of those guys to bring in somebody off a practice squad or move them around. But I, you got to have experience in that line. And you see if you can develop them. And literally, this is like trying to find oil. You're going to miss <laughs> on a bunch. Yeah. You're going to miss on a bunch. Some guys aren't tough enough. Some guys just aren't athletic enough. Some guys can't do things well enough. But you've got to keep looking. You can't, you, you know, you're, you're just basically trying. You're putting commitment in. And if you can get one early, that's great. But you've got to be able to develop them. And your line coach has got to be willing to work with them and not just say, well, he can't play. You know, uh, uh, he's not good enough. No, we got to work mm-hmm. with him. We're not talking about him playing today. We're talking about him playing next year. I think that's a fantastic point there. If I was a general manager, I'm never going to be one. But if I was, I think I'd offensive line and defensive line, I would draft at least one guy in each of that position group every single year of the draft. Because like you said, it's like oil. You're just taking lottery tickets. You're taking lottery tickets. And if one develops and, bu- and, and bumps up, then you have a good player to have there on that offensive line in case of injuries because this is a position that is a lot of wear and tear. The offensive no tackles, the, the red chip offensive tackles are as follows. Philadelphia Eagles tackled Jordan Mailata as well as Lane Johnson of the Eagles. So their two bookend guys are both red chips on your list. Taylor Decker of the Detroit Lions, Colton Miller of the Las Vegas Raiders, and Taylor Lewan of the Tennessee Titans. And here comes the first round pick blue chip pedigree because outside of Jordan Mailata, all of these guys were selected in the first round. Well, you got to get talent, you know, and I mean, look, Lane Johnson has been a good player, right tackle. I mean, Decker's the same way. Colton Miller, I think, is really just he's a, he's a, just a cut below a blue chip player. Malata is an interesting player because remember, they drafted Dillard from Washington State mm-hmm. and they get this kid who's very athletic. He can move. He can move around. I'll tell you, you know, the Lions have two. They're going to have two really good. Sewell's a really good player. He played well last year. He could have easily made this list as a red chip. I thought he got better as the year went on. He's going to be a really good player this year. Detroit has done a nice job of rebuilding their offensive line. It's one of the reasons why they're able to stay in games because they don't get they don't get pushed around up front. They've got some physicality there, which I think is great. But look, it is a pedigree position to play tackle. People say, "Well, you're playing right tackle." No, no, no. Stop Mm. that bullshit. (laughs) Right and left, it don't matter. Like the if the edge is open, like stop thinking like the tight end's always going to the right and he's going to help the right tackle. Like if the edge is open on either side, you got to be able to protect the edge inside out. So playing right tackle and playing left tackle are the same thing. They're the same thing because if you're if you're a really good pass rusher and you got a shitty right tackle, mm-hmm. then I'm going to put my best pass rusher over on your right tackle. No, thank thank you for saying that because I think a lot of people don't really under think oh left tackle blind side. It's like. No, they're going to put Miles Garrett or T.J. Watt on that right tackle until you make an adjustment if that player is getting beat like a drum. Offensive line, you're only as strong as the weakest link there. Uh, Lane Johnson, he is a one-time All-Pro, but he's seen as one of the better right tackles in the league. Uh, Was it health? Is that why you had him on the red chips instead of the blue chips, or is it something else? Yeah, I mean, I think his durability is certainly a concern. I mean, he had Mm -hmm. some – I think he was having some some problems last year, mental health problems that they needed to work through. But, I mean, he's a good player. There's no denying it. I mean, that's the Eagles' strength. The one thing about the Eagles that you you have to respect about their team building is they believe in offensive and defensive alignment, Mm -hmm. which to me, if that's what you believe in, I know they've drafted a bunch of receivers, but they put money into the offensive and defensive line. And I think that's, that shows up and at least Detroit, I think is trying to get in that direction. It's the teams like freaking Atlanta. Oh, well we, you know, they can't (laughs) block anybody, but we'll just draft another receiver. Like, you know, seriously, I mean, that's what we're going to do. I mean, you got Kyle Pitts and then you draft, you know, the, 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 this, the kid from USC, like, come on. 
come on. Like, like <laughs> I know, but you say, well, they have a lot of first round picks in their offensive line. Yeah, but none of them play well. They like none of them. Lindstrom, people say, well, he should be on the red chip. Did you watch him? Like Matt Ryan, do you think Matt Ryan would put him on the red chip list? Yeah, my, my Washington guy, Caleb McGarry, he uh, hasn't played well either out there in Atlanta. Um, but maybe Drake London can help protect Marcus Mariota or Desmond Ritter, whoever's yeah, uh, playing behind quarterback there in Atlanta. Uh, Michael, let's take a quick break, and I want to get to the blue chips because there's a lot of really good names that we should discuss here on the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, the second round of the playoffs have been absolutely phenomenal, and if you really like a team, you can bet on them for the futures markets, maybe some conference finals MVPs as the conference finals approach, or how about NBA finals MVP? And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code shuffle that's code shuffle for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks only on DraftKings the crown is yours gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia visit www.1800gambler.net in New York call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 in Connecticut help is available for problem gambling call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance, see dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, Michael, let's get to the blue chip offensive lineman here, starting on the interior, and here is the list that you have come up with for the centers. Creed Humphrey of the Kansas City Chiefs entering his second year. So Creed Humphrey, after that rookie season, already on the blue chip list here. And then Jason Kelsey of the Philadelphia Eagles, Frank Ragnow of the Detroit Lions, Eric McCoy of the New Orleans Saints, and Corey Lindsley of the L.A. Chargers. But I want to start with Creed Humphrey because you mentioned how Kansas City has put an emphasis on that offensive line after what happened in the Super Bowl against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and they hit a home run with Creed Humphrey. And now, you know, and, and so they've got two guys along with it. They spent money on Tooney to go in there. Uh, and, you know, they've got Tooney and they've got they've got him. They've got Creed Humphrey. So they really have. I mean, look, you, you are what you emphasize, right? You become the team you want to be. If you want a team of fat guys, you draft fat guys. You want a team of skinny guys, you draft skinny guys. You know, if you want if you want to build an offensive line, you draft it. You just can't think they're going to show up on campus, you know. And the and the worst time to look for offensive linemen is like right now. Like right now, there's no offensive lineman sitting at home who's good enough to play in the league. Maybe J.C. Treader, who's played in the league, but that's a veteran. But I'm talking about a guy that you could count on to play 17 games. I mean, we're seeing it around the league. I mean. You know, the, the, the Bears have such a shitty line because Pace would never draft linemen and never built the line. And so now they're signing Riley Reeves. They're signing all these guys that, you know, there's a good chance to get hurt. It's like last year they signed Jason Peters. Shocking, he got hurt, right? Anytime a lineman goes over 31, 32 that's had a history of injury, you're always worried about him getting hurt. So, look, I, I think they've done a great job there, and Humphrey's going to have a great career. I think the kid – the Eagles draft, the two is going to be, you know, I mean, they played him at guard, but I think eventually, you know, they'll move him in. And I think ultimately that that's what you have to do. You've got to spend money on this position. 
Yeah, the guy the Eagles drafted was in anticipation of maybe replacing Jason Kelsey whenever he decides to hang them up there. It was Cam Jurgens out of Nebraska. But Jason Kelsey is entering his age 35 season, 12th year in the league. He's a four-time first-team All-Pro, likely destined for the Hall of Fame here. Uh, to me, he feels like he's the cream of the crop when you talk about centers in the NFL. And it's kind of crazy that he's been able to do this at his age right now, entering his age 35 season. Well, he's so athletic, you know, and he's able to move and, he, you know, he can get to the second level. And even though sometimes when guys that go over him play with power, they give him some trouble. But for the most part, you know, he's tough enough. He's smart enough. He knows how to handle the angles. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to cut. He knows how to do the things that make him a good player. And, you know, that, that's, that goes a long way in terms of being successful in the league is knowing and understanding how to play the position. You know, if you go work them all out, like if you worked out Andrews, you worked out some of it. They may not work out so good, but they're effectively, they play well. It may not be perfect the way it looks, but it works out. You know, Kelsey, if you want to be a football junkie and see something super impressive, watch him pull on some of those outside runs yeah, or on up. those screens when he gets out in space. It's the athleticism. It's in, it's incredible. You see why Travis Kelsey also has it as well, his younger yeah. brother, because that family, the gene pool is really good. It is. And, you know, the other thing is, like, when I watch my, my grandsons when they bend, you know, like when I watch Dino bend and he gets his <laughs> ass almost to the ground and Dominic, they get down to the ground and Leo, all those kids, you know, they have this incredible bend. Great centers have that incredible bend. Their ass can almost touch the ground. They have this ability to play. And what does that mean? It means they're able to play with lower body strength because mm -hmm. they're low and they can uncoil their hips. That's the key. It all comes from your lower body. When you can't bend like that, when you can't bend like a catcher in baseball, you know how those catchers, their ass touches the ground? Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, it's really, that's the key to being able to have a success at the position because you need to uncoil. Yeah, low man wins. That's what they tell you when you're uh, practicing football the first day. It's low man wins. It's a game of leverage. And if you're uh, too high, you're going to get moved back because it's tough to move people when you're standing straight up there. Uh, the blue chip guards are as follows here. Zach Martin of the Dallas Cowboys, Joel Batonio of the Cleveland Browns, Joe Thune of the Kansas City Chiefs, also Wyatt Teller of the Browns as well. So they have two blue chip guards, Brandon Sheriff of the Jacksonville Jaguars, most recently of the Washington Commanders, and then Quentin Nelson of the Indianapolis Colts. So we have a couple first-round picks, the two Notre Dame guys, Zach Martin and Quentin Nelson. But outside of that, these other guys, second round, third round, sorry, Brandon Scherf is also a first-round pick as well. But the other guys were kind of second, third-round picks, middle-round kind of guys uh, here at guard. I mean, I, I think I put him in blue chips. I think he probably is somewhere between a blue and a red the way he played last year. He kind of always plays hurt, you know, so you never know. But he's a talented player. Uh, I think Teller's a really good player. I think Batano's a really good player. Tooney's another kid drafted in the third round, plays really well. And then, you know, Martin and Nelson, those guys are physical. They're tough. They can, you know, Martin's gone out and play tackle. So is Nelson. They're versatile and they're athletic. And they have one of the things you got to have to be a great offensive lineman. It's one of the reasons why Al Davis would go through all the, the great shot putters in college or the great wrestlers in high school or shot putters in high school is you need to be able to play the game with balance. And so when you can play with balance, you know, balance transposes itself into the shot put, being able to throw that thing, not like, like if you're setting state records in shot put or the discus, that requires balance. It's the same thing with wrestling. If you're able to wrestle, it requires balance. And so that transposes itself into the playing offensive line.
you know, remember Steve Neal was a wrestler. You know, it's one of the reasons when I was in Cleveland, we moved Bob Dahl from offense, from defensive line. He was a third round pick of the Bengals. He went to us. We moved him to offensive guard because he was a state wrestling champion. He threw the, I mean, he had great balance and he was a better guard than he was a defensive lineman. So I think that's really where you got to try to find some linemen because colleges don't have enough offensive linemen. So and some of those guys who play defense in college aren't really defensive skill players. I think both in the cases of Zach Martin and Quentin Nelson, the two Notre Dame guys, when their teams drafted them, it really elevated not only their offensive lines, but their offenses as well. I remember being a Dallas Cowboys fan and they drafted uh, Tyron Smith back in 2011 or 2010, I believe it was. And it was, okay, let's rebuild the offensive line because Tony Romo has gotten hurt quite a bit. So they draft Tyron Smith. Then they draft Travis Frederick in 2013. Offensive line getting better, but it was when 2014 when they took Zach Martin was when things really took off there. And the same thing with Quentin Nelson with the Colts there. Their offensive line really took off, and we see what they're able to do in the run game with Jonathan Taylor. These guys, while oftentimes overlooked, actually matter in terms of running the football and be able to protect your quarterback, especially up front in the pocket. Plus, they give you a mental toughness, right? They give you physical toughness. They clean the pocket out. Like, they take those defensive linemen who are just, like, engaged with another lineman, and they ram them into the hip, and they pull them out of the way so the quarterback can step up. There's a, there's an element that you have to have. Remember those old St. Louis Cardinal lines with Conrad Dobler and Dan Deardoff? That was a tough mm-hmm. line, you know? And you need that. You need that nasty in there. It sets the tone. You know, because oftentimes you're throwing it so much, there isn't a lot of ways where you can be, get those linemen and get nasty. You need that. You really do. It sets the tone for the offense. Speaking of the nasty, let's get to the offensive tackles. These are the big boys on the outside who help protect the blind side and start with Trent Williams of the San Francisco 49ers. Tristan Wirfs entering his third year with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Trent Brown with the New England Patriots. Rashawn Slater entering year two with the L.A. Chargers. And then Tyron Smith of the Dallas Cowboys. What really jumped out to, to you with these five guys? Well, Smith, I think, is really a good player. He just durability is the issue with him. I thought Slater was great last year. You know, I mean, I don't have Poole on the list. You know, I think I think Sewell can be as good as Slater. He just went over to play right tackle as opposed to left. I thought Slater really helped the Chargers pass offense tremendously. You know, when you when you looked at what he was able to do, Trent Brown's going to play left tackle. I think Trent Brown is one of the most athletic big guys I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. For a guy who's had a weight problem, you know, but he's a dancing bear out there. He does things that you shouldn't be able to do. And then to me, you know, Worth is a really good player. I think he's tough. He's physical. And then Trent Williams is the elite left tackle in the league. There's no denying it. I mean, he's really good. He can play. He can handle power. He can handle speed. And when he's healthy, he makes all the difference in the 49er passing game. Yeah, all four of these guys outside of Trent Brown, first-round picks, dating all the way back to 2010 with Trent Williams. I think the common theme that we see here across the board on this offensive line is you see a lot of guys who are eight, nine-year pros in Trent Williams' case, entering his 13th year, Tyron Smith, his 12th year. Is this a position group that ages well, in your opinion? They should, you know. Plus, like Trent Brown, he got his body in shape. He's taking care of himself. Mm -hmm. He got his weight down. I mean, this is a huge man who's extremely athletic, you know. And when he wants to run block, when his head is into the game, wow, he knocks him off. You know, it's like this Becton kid with 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 the Jets, he has got so much skill in his game. Yeah. Now, he doesn't he doesn't have a lot of, you know, I don't know how tough he is. I don't know how nasty he wants to be. I don't know if it's important to him. But when he was playing left tackle and it was going good for him, they could run the ball behind him and get four yards every time. Now, they moved him to right tackle this year. We'll see. 
but he's got talent. I mean, he should be an upper echelon player. It's how much does he want to be a good player? And see, that's the thing about offensive line. It really that's why the most talented guys don't always end up being the best players. That's why there's so many busts in the first round because the mental toughness isn't there. Whereas some of these guys in the third or fourth round or later picks, they're guys that are really that are more inclined to one of they love the sport. They love playing. They love the constant battle. You know, Trent Brown athletically should be a first round pick. He didn't because he had weight problems and he was lazy, which is no way to go through life. But anyway, so but now he's playing it well. Yeah, it's great life advice as well there. But Becton, I'm glad you brought him up because he has so much big time potential. And that rookie year, he was fantastic. I was watching him. I'm like, man, this is the best player on the New York Jets here. Now, we had the injury issue last year, only played in about half a game there. He got hurt in that first uh, week against the Carolina Panthers. This year, it sounds like he's in better shape. We'll see what he can do at right tackle. But you mentioned the leverage and being able to bend at center and at guard, being able to play in space. What makes a good tackle? Is, is it just the, the feet? Is it the arm length? What, what to you, when you scout offensive tackles, jumps out? And they got to handle power. they got to be able to handle a, a pass rusher down the middle because every guy who rushes the passer, if he can power rush against a tackle that can't handle power, he becomes a good pass rusher. And so when you can handle power and you people run into you and you and they don't move you, then you've got to do something else. So you got to handle power. Power has got to be what you what you lead with. You got to be able mm-hmm. to handle that. And then you've got to be able to be able to run the edge and get not necessarily keep the the guy off the edge. You just run him past the quarterback. Run him past the quarterback and not allow him to kind of touch the quarterback so the quarterback can step up. So it's power and athleticism, but it starts with power. If you can't handle power, then every slappy, it becomes a good rusher. Every guy is good, you know, because it's like, I'm just going to power you down the middle. I don't need to use quickness. I don't need to use anything. I'll just rush you down the middle. I power you back. Soft tackles don't last. Yeah. Which team has the best offensive line in the league? I think Cleveland does. I think this is one of the things about Cleveland. There's so much conversation about them not being very good when Watson gets suspended or when he does. Look, I'm not in love with Brissett. I think I would sign Garoppolo if I were them. But this offensive line is really good. They'll run block well. Callahan does a nice job. They scheme the run game well. And they've got two legitimate running backs in Chubb and and Hunt. I mean, they could really run it. If they don't lose the game with their offense, they're not going to be as bad as people think they are. No, I agree with you there. I, I think this Browns team can surprise some people just because of how talented that roster is. And I also believe in Kevin Stefanski as a head coach. The Chiefs, the Eagles, the Lions, the Cowboys, the Browns, they have multiple players on your blue and red chip list here. The Lions, I think a lot of folks, and you talked about that earlier, they might not associate the Lions with being tough, physical, and maybe being a team on the rise. But with this offensive line, and they also have some frisky guys on the defensive line as well, this is a physical team that I don't think a lot of folks are going to want to play this upcoming season. No, and if they stay healthy and they've got a good running game going, Swift's, I think, outstanding to go with Williams. You know, look, they've got a guy in the back. Of, I saw Ricky Fowler was at practice today. I wonder if he's really spreading the competitive spirit around at practice for the Lions. But, uh, you know, but I think ultimately, you know, if Goff doesn't hurt them, you know, and doesn't mm. turn the ball over and they can keep him in a play action scheme. The key to Goff is don't let him get into a drop back pass game because that's when he's not as good. You know, he needs separation in the defense. He needs hard play action. That's why he was good in Los Angeles. So if you can do that and they should be able to run the football, you know, they should be able to do some things with that. Their offense is ready to go. Obviously, they need a better quarterback, but they're ready to go. I just think defensively is the concerns. 
All right, just to recap all of the blue chip offensive tackles here for our listening audience, we have Trent Williams of the 49ers, Tristan Wirfs of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Trent Brown of the New England Patriots, Rashawn Slater of the Chargers, and Tyron Smith of the Dallas Cowboys. And then the blue chip guards, Zach Martin of the Cowboys, Joel Batonio of the Browns, Joe Thune of the Chiefs, Wyatt Teller of the Browns as well, Brandon Scherf now with the Jacksonville Jaguars, and then Quentin Nelson of the Colts. And the center list is as follows, Creed Humphrey, of the Chiefs, Jason Kelsey of the Eagles, Frank Ragnow of the Detroit Lions, Eric McCoy of the New Orleans Saints, and Corey Lindsley of the L.A. Chargers. The Chargers, sorry, Chargers fans, also another team with multiple blue yeah. chips there well, with Lindsley and, and Slater. And so are the Saints. I mean, the Saints yep. are really good up front. I mean, that's the one thing. that you keep, Look, it's like pitching in baseball, right? If you don't have a good offensive line, I know the card, I know the, the Bengals did what they did last year, but that's an anomaly. That's not the norm. Mm-hmm. Just because it happens once doesn't mean you can get away with it again. To me, you know, that's where the Saints are good. If Penning comes through, you know, at left tackle to replace. Look, Armstead, Armstead could be on the list as a blue or a red, but he's never, he doesn't stay healthy enough. He's a good player. And if he plays 17 games for Miami and goes through the season, he'll be a red chip player for sure. But you got to be able to stay healthy. But the Saints are good. I mean, Ruez, the guard, they got Pete in the group. You know, so they're really a good team. Riley Reef at right tackle. I mean, they're really a good team. Yeah. And it's funny with the Chiefs, the guys that they have on there. One guy who's not on this list for the Chiefs, blue or red, is Orlando Brown. He's the one that wants to get paid. Uh, hasn't signed his franchise tag. That deadline has passed, so we'll see how the Chiefs can work that out there because they can't give him an extension now. The July 15th deadline has passed. We'll I see mean, if he he's turned to show a, up. I mean, he turned out a huge extension. I don't know what he's thinking about. Like he's even if he signed it, he's not a top ten tackle. He's a good player. Mm-hmm. You know, he's benefited by the offense because look, you know, the guy ran five. I think he ran like five flat, five eight at the combine, almost six flat. Yeah. I mean, it really, you know, that's what killed him, but he's long-armed and he, you can't power him, but he's benefited by that. Every time you play the Chiefs, you want to get up the field, you know, and so he's long enough and he can move people out, but I, I don't know what he's turning down that guy. I don't know where he's going to get that money from. Maybe he needs to call Eric Burkhardt and uh, get things sorted out there. Maybe Eric Burkhardt we'll can't hustle the Kansas City yeah. Chiefs. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll call Turtle. We'll call Turtle. We'll call somebody. I mean, you know, we'll call yeah. Turtle. We'll call Vinny. Johnny Drama. <laughs> we'll, we'll, get a, we'll get sorted out there. Uh, Orlando Brown not going to get his money until March at the earliest. Let's take one more final break here, and we'll do more news and notes on the other side. All right, Michael, before we get out of here, let's end this on some news and notes from around the league. Training camp's already underway. All 32 teams have kicked off. And if you haven't read it, by the way, go check out Michael's column over at vcin.com. That first paragraph will get the juices flowing. I read it last night, Michael, and I couldn't sleep for an hour because I was just so excited for football and the optimism of training camp here. But oh, it's the greatest. Everybody's winning. I mean, it, there's nothing. It's the best time of the year until reality sets in. But it's, it's great. I'm looking forward to it. And what I tried to do in the column was just kind of take some random things that kind of go through your head in the offseason and, and write something. So it's not just one flow of one team. It's a little bit about every team. Here's the first two sentences because I have it up right now. I'm just going to read it here. It says, we have now reached the time of the year when the sounds of shoulder pads colliding make us excited. The smell of fresh cut grass, the perfectly lined fields, and most of all, seeing the pigskin travel in the air signals the start of something we all love. I mean, that. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> let's get this yeah, thing going, so man. I, lo- I love it. <laughs> I, love, I love this time of the year. And, the, the, you know, added that optimism in there. The magic of beginnings mm-hmm. is always so good. Um, But unfortunately, training camp has its downsides as well. And we've seen that already Thursday morning with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Their center, Ryan Jensen, 
the leader of that offensive line, goes down, had to be carted off the practice field. Reports are that he threw his helmet, visibly frustrated there. Um, if this ends up being a long-term thing for Jensen, we don't know what the diagnosis of the injury is right now as we tape this Thursday morning. But if it becomes long-term, this could spell trouble for Tom Brady and the Bucks. Well, unless they call J.C. Treader and get him to come in. You know, I mean, I think that ultimately, you know, they got to have an emergency list guy to go in there uh, or they move somebody that they feel like they can win with at that position. But look, you're going to have to deal with injuries. I mean, uh, it's sad. You don't want to have it happen to Jensen or any player, but that's part of the job. It's like you're not going through this thing pitching a perfect game. It's not a Hollywood movie. You know, you got to find players that have to fill in and come in and play. That's the job of Jason Light. That's the job of the front office to do that. And it almost reminds me of what you wrote about with Joe Shane, the now new GM of the New York Giants, saying that he was scared at this time. He's like, man, I'm getting nervous because guys can get hurt and all these things. We're just trying to get to the season healthy. But this is the unfortunate downside of the sport. I mean, things happen. We've seen it with quarterbacks in the past with Teddy Bridgewater. I always remember that year back in 2015, I believe it was. Vikings, so much optimism. Then Bridgewater suffers the devastating knee injury towards the end of a practice there. Just sent their whole season into a spiral. Um, but these injuries, they, they, can be, uh, they can be rough for a lot of these teams yeah, here. They, so we hope to get through them healthy. Yeah. No doubt. You just got to have a contingency plan and you can't focus on it like, oh, my God, we, we're losing this guy. You got to move on. It's I know is that there's a delicate balance of feeling sorry for the player who got hurt, but there is you got to move on. And the, the sooner you move on, it's one of the reasons why, you know, you, you got to send messages to your team that you got to be ready to go. And there's no magic wand. There's no like I said, there's not a lot of players sitting on their couches right now who actually can come in and be a good player. No, I, I, I totally agree with that. What's the great Belichick line? If I knew when a player was going to get injured, I'd take him out the play before. That's, that's Yeah, exactly. That if you would have told me he was going to get hurt, I would have taken him out since you know everything about the sport, right? <laughs> okay. um, the Buccaneers did make a move uh, earlier this week, and it's assigned veteran wide receiver 33-year-old Julio Jones to a one-year contract. Last year, Julio was pretty banged up with the Tennessee Titans in his one year out there in Nashville. What do you think he can provide in Tampa? Well, he was banged up the year before, too. So when he hit 30, he just lost it. He lost his legs, it looked like to me. Now, can he rekindle them back? I doubt it. Look, here's the problem. Here's the real issue as a general manager. What a player looks like at the end of July and August is not what he's going to look like in December and January when you need him to play the best. I, I don't give a shit who it is. Like We signed Joe Morris when I was in Cleveland. And Joe Morris was the talk of our training camp in July and August. And by November, we didn't even want him on the team anymore. He was so bad because he, he just his legs couldn't do it. And he was a great kid. He wanted to work hard, did all those things. But the problem was God, father time, unless you're Tom Brady, wins. And I think Father Thomas won with Julio. Julio had no separation last year. I mean, Julio was easy to cover. I mean, you know, his name makes you think, oh, my God, I can't cover him. And then you start to cover him. You say, okay, I can cover this guy. You know, I, I don't know if it's going to work. And people say, well, he's got Tom Brady. Okay. You know, we, we signed Reggie Wayne when he couldn't play. You know, we did that because we needed a guy. And we realized once we saw it, he couldn't separate. When you play outside receiver, you got to win on the outside. you got to separate. Inside, you can win. You can win covered. Outside, you got to have separation. Yeah, and that's why I wonder: like, will they play him a little bit inside? I know Chris Godwin yeah. is usually the guy that plays that spot, but you don't think Julio will be used as like a big slot guy? I think he gets hurt if he goes in there. Yeah. I mean, Julio's had a, a, a everlasting hamstring injury that has gone on forever. I think he gets hurt if he goes. I don't see him being. I mean, at this age, I don't see him doing those things. Maybe he can. 
you know, I'm sure that they didn't. There's no real risk to this in terms of the bucks. It's all reward. Mm-hmm. I assume it depends on how much they guaranteed of it. But that's my feeling is, look, anytime you sign an older guy in July and you think that's going to help your team who's got durability issues. Don't be surprised when he has durability issues during the season. Yeah. Hell of a career for Julio Jones. But sometimes the, the father time comes calling. And unless you're Tom Brady, He's usually winning that matchup. Um, yeah, speak- I, and I love Femi. What I love is how the media reacts to it. Like he, this isn't twenty-four-year-old Julio that <laughs> yeah. they just signed. This is like Julio at the end. This, this is the problem. Like nobody looks that he's missed a boatload of games the last two mm-hmm. years. Like seriously. Like okay, at one time this was great, but remember when is the lowest form of conversation. So let's not remember when. Yeah, if Julio Jones was the guy he was uh, way back when, I don't think he'd be a free agent in July. I can tell you that much. He would have been signed much sooner than that and have been on a team much, much sooner. Uh, Tom Brady's last destination, the New England Patriots there, a lot of discussion about who's going to be calling the plays. And reports are that Matt Patricia was calling the plays at practice during a team period earlier this week. But you put out a tweet that almost pours a little bit of cold water on some of the conclusions that are being jumped to throughout the media and throughout the football space. Well, I mean, they, people don't understand the mechanics of training camp. So everything's scripted, right? You walk out to practice, you see Belichick looking at a white piece of paper. He's looking at a script. He knows what the play call is. He knows what the defense call is. And he wants to see it. So somebody has to call that play in. It's not being called on the time. It's scripted. Now, there may be a practice where they're not going to run scripts. But early, they're going to run scripts. So just because Matt's calling the script doesn't mean he's the play caller. The plays have already been called. They're already run down. He's just relaying the plays in. So let's not jump to conclusions. And maybe, you know, maybe they worked as a staff to put those plays in. This is what they wanted. And this is the calls they needed to get. I think to me, it's just to me, it's a relaying mechanism. It's not a play calling mechanism. Do you think we're going to see Joe Judge uh, on the walkie talkie tomorrow just for Belichick to mess with the media? Oh, I don't think he's trying to mess with the media at all. I think he's trying to do what's best for the team. I think that's the biggest misconception that the media puts themselves in. They put their ego into it. Well, he's just messing with us. Uh He really could get, frankly, he could give a shit about you. He cares about his team and that's all he cares about. Like he's going to do what's best for his team. He's not interested in messing with you. As he should. He shouldn't care about what we're up to. Uh, we're going to write whatever we want to write or talk about whatever we want to talk right. about regardless. That's exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly right. That, that's what it comes down to. You know, what you have to understand, these great coaches, they understand what the job is and they know what it is. And what it isn't is paying attention to the media. Uh, I'm going to write this for the Daily Coach one day next week. It, mm-hmm. It's a little bit like I went into one coach in the Southeast Conference. I went into his office one time. And I was going to speak to the team. And in his office, he has all these diagrams and drawings of the facilities and the new new addition to the stadium and all that. And I'm like, you know, there's a good chance you might not be here when this is all done. Like, if you don't pay attention to what you got to pay attention to, you're never going to see these buildings. Like, what is the job and what isn't it? The job isn't architecture. The job is football. Belichick, Nick Saban, Mike Tomlin, they understand what the job is. Yeah, I think it was Marv Levy, the great Bills coach, once said that the moment I start listening to the fans will be the moment that I'm sitting up in the stands with the fans as well. So uh, we're going to focus on what we can do as well. Uh, Real quick, I wanted to ask you about this new trend that we're starting to see around the league because the holdout due to the CBA is not really a thing that is uh, conducive to the players' pockets. But now we're seeing the hold in where guys report to camp but don't actually practice. Seahawks wide receiver DK Metcalf, 49ers wide receiver Debo Samuel, Chargers safety Derwin James, and Bears linebacker Roquan Smith, all official hold-ins. What, what do you make of this thing? 
it's a hard thing. I mean, I, I've thought about this for a lot. I don't know how I would handle it if I was the GM or the coach. I mean, you know, they're there. You know, for me, either you're practicing or you're staying out. Like, I, I mean, I know you're only there not to get fined. Yep. So you're circumventing the rules, you know. And so, and how do I handle this? And what do I do diplomatically? Like, I understand you don't want to get hurt. I know your contracts, but you're really taking advantage of the system. Like, what is the reason you're not on the practice field? And if you're saying, I don't want to practice, then that's conduct detrimental to the team. Then I could fine you, right? If you're saying, oh, we're going to wait, I want to wait till we get this contract ironed out and it's two days away. Well, then I'd rather have you stay out of the building and maybe not fine you, but I'd rather have you not here. Because now all of a sudden when you're here, all the attention is on you. I don't want it on you. I want it on our team. I want it on the, the guys who are practicing. So for me, it's a really delicate balance. And, you know, I, I don't know if there's a way around it, but I certainly would really want to separate these players, not not from the team, from the spotlight. Yeah, no, it's really fascinating. And I'm sure I, I don't know why it's taking so long for players to understand this. So just to show up, but then not actually participate, because that's the way you can circumvent all the fine rules. And even if there was contra detrimental, maybe some guys would start to say, you know what, coach? My my hammy's a little tight. <laughs> you know, my hammy's a yeah, little tight. Yeah, but you right got to get the doctor to sign. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like seriously, like, uh, okay. But that's what we're going to do. Then, if if you're if you're not coming because you can't yeah. get your contract done, then stay out of here. You know, and and you know, I, I I'm not saying I'm gonna I'm gonna find you, but I don't want you around. Like, I don't want you yeah. around worrying about your contract, worrying about something selfish when we're trying to build a team. Yeah. Like, I would rather have you out of the building. I don't want you in the building. I don't want I don't want you moping around, you know, talking to other players because your contract's not done. Like I don't want that. You know, so if you're not gonna be if you're not gonna practice, don't be here. It's a fascinating dynamic in the business of football. But that does it for this week's edition of the podcast. Thank you, as always, to all of our listeners. Subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Really review us because we want to get the questions in. Michael has a lot of knowledge. We want to pick his brain before the start of the season here. Uh, Our producer, Stephen Bond, as always, thank you to him. He's with us on the ones and twos. Thank you to you, Michael. Thank you to DraftKings. Thank you to VEASAN. And we'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you, fam. 